Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. Well, good morning, family. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Pastor Jerrion Wilson. Everybody here calls me Jay Will. And I get the privilege of being the planting pastor of this young church plant. City of Refuge, we're a simple church that's seeking to call all to Jesus, to connect to Jesus' greater family, and to live commissioned as kingdom citizens. Uh, You came on an interesting morning. Uh, This is the beauty of what we call expository preaching. Expository preaching is we take a book of the Bible and we just slowly preach through whole books of the Bible. And over the past few months, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians as our church has been growing together and getting to know each other better. And we have new families coming in. Uh, We've been doing this sermon series called Life Together. Well, today we land on a text that has some landmines in it for many. Uh, The reason this text has landmines on it for many, for one, this text has been used to abuse and hurt many who have same-sex attractions or wrestle with same-sex attractions. On the flip side, for parents who have children and this cultural moment, it's difficult because parents sometimes feel like the culture is telling their children how they should feel about their sexuality. My goal here today is not to bash the culture but also not to terrify the parents, but to set a a true standard of what this text is talking about. The, The bottom line, if you walk away today, I want you to know this one thing, that our text is about being set apart for God's glory. It's not about hating the world. It's not about telling people they're unworthy, but it's all about the fact that God himself has come and set people apart for his glory. And because he has set us apart for his glory, anyone who says, I want something greater than his glory or more than his glory is not worthy of his glory. And while I was preparing the sermon, I was praying this morning. I was preparing all week, but I was praying this morning and I remembered a friend of mine, a young lady I knew a few years ago, who was uh, uh, acting uh, lesbian. And she, I remember having a conversation with her because she said, I watch your life. I see how you declare God. And I think God is good, but I'm afraid because if I give my life to God, he's going to ask me to change. And I was like, what do you mean he's going to ask you to change? Well, I, 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 the Bible says my lifestyle is sinful And I'm afraid to accept a God who says I cannot come to him unless I change. You see, this lady, she was so familiar with what she knew that she couldn't fathom that she was being called to something greater than what she knew. She acknowledged that what she was practicing and what she was holding on to was sin, but she was familiar with this sin. And she was so familiar with this thing that she was afraid to follow a God 
who she wasn't as familiar with. The tension in her life was, if God is good, what does God do with me who wrestles with these things? Family, I believe this is the tension that all of us wrestles with. If God is good, what does he do with the issues of my heart? What does he do when I wrestle with many things that he says is contrary to what he has set up? I want you to know that everyone who responds to the call of good has been set apart to experience his glory and to be partakers of his glory. But to be partakers of his glory means we must do this thing called repent. It's turn away from everything that is unlike him and turn to him and say that he is good and he is worthy and I trust him. And this is what Paul is getting at in verse 9 of our text today as, he is, as we are following on from Justin's sermon last week when he was talking about legal, uh, legal suits amongst saints. Paul was fussing at the church because he was saying, why are you taking your suits as people who've been set apart to experience glory to people who reject God, who reject glory, who reject God's kingdom? Why are you bringing it before them? They are still dead. They are practicing unrighteous. And you want unrighteous people to judge your ways righteously? As we've been going through this book, I said it earlier, it was about how 1 Corinthians starts off talking about how we've been called by a holy God, how he's confirming his calling in us, and how he is continuously bringing us to the end of ourself to himself. In the first four chapters, Paul says, you've been called to a holy God, not because of the leaders you follow, not because of the things you do, but because of the goodness of a gracious and holy God. And then from chapter five, and and later on, as we continue on, he said, now you've been called to look eschatologically, which means look at the end of where you're going at this holy God, knowing you've been covered in glory and you're going to follow someone and become glorious. But if you are looking towards glory and know you will become glorious, he says, now you must be able to gauge the world who does not look to the same glorious one you look to. And this is what he means by the unrighteous in verse 9 will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, and males who have sex with males. Now, Paul is making a very distinct list here because in Corinth and Corinth, they were practicing all kind of sexual immorality, sleeping around, uh, offering sex or sexual things to idols. They were doing all these things because they could. It was the way of the culture. Their culture had a very interesting mandate that was very similar to us. It's live your truth. Do you enjoy life because you only get one. Paul is saying these are not people who will inherit a good kingdom because they have the kingdom that they want. As a matter of fact, when he uses these phrases, he's referring back to the Levitical law. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, Chapter 18, verse 22, it says, you are not to sleep with a man as with a woman. It is detestable, meaning this is unworthy of anyone who follows God. 
Now, some in recent reinterpretations claim that these words, which is two words making the word homosexual in this text, only refers to homosexual prostitution or pedophilia. But here's the problem. Such claims don't uh, fit the consistent translation and practices that is in the context of this passage and the universal interpretation of this passage for over 2,000 years. It also doesn't line up with Paul's very teachings to the book of, and, and to the church of Romans. In the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 26 through 27, he says, For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left unnatural relationships with women and was inflamed in their lust for one another. And men committed shameful acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. In short, this is one of the New Testament's clear indications that homosexual practices, I want to caveat, practices, not temptations, not wrestlings, not desires, but the very practices and behaviors are deeply, unmistakably sinful. Embracing such practices show a deep rejection of God, just as much as with idolatry or cheating in business. So Paul, in this very clear and bold statement, is saying these are people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you might be asking the question, why? What are they doing that's so wrong? Well, the God who created all things, who has put all things in perfect unity and, and put it in, in natural practices, he says anything that goes against his natural order of creation is wrong. Now, does this mean that anybody who has same-sex attractions are unworthy to be saved? Absolutely not. Doesn't mean that anybody who wrestles with this tension is unworthy to be called a child of God. Absolutely not. Does this mean that they deserve violence against them? Absolutely not. They are image bearers of a holy God. They were created for his glory. They were created to reflect his glory back to himself. Here is the difference. As he goes on in verse 10 and 11, he says, not only homosexuals, since we like to put homosexuals on the big pedestal saying this is the unforgivable sin, but he says, no, thieves are greedy people, are drunkards, verbally abusive people, are swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. What he's getting at is he's saying, I'm going to even take it beyond just this one sin that's normal, but I'm going to take it to just the very 10 commandments that God has given us for the idolaters. No other gods. First commandment, broken. Verse, uh, uh, commandment number six, no adultery. So for the adulterers, for the sexually immoral people, for homosexuality, this is broken. For the thieves, and thieves are anyone who wants to take something that is not theirs. They have this desire to say, if it's, if it's there, I want it no matter what. For the swindlers who will just lie and steal to get their way, that's the seventh commandment, broken. 
to people who are bearing false witness. This is the verbally abusive people in the text. This is the eighth commandment. No bearing false witness or tearing down the image of your fellow image bearers. This is verbally abusive. What Paul is getting at, he says, nobody will inherit the kingdom of God if they fall to their own desires. They put all of their trust in their own desires. The reason I wanted to caveat and start this off by talking about homosexuality is because I have talked to people who said homosexuals can't be saved. And it's not true. They could be saved just as much as the guy who used to be a thief. I was a shoplifter. I slept around. I lied. Guess what? I've broken more sins than this one sin. No, Paul wasn't picking on evil people of the society or pointing his finger and saying, here are the people who are undeserving. He's saying, no, these people are unrighteous. And the problem is, some of you were also. In verse 11, he says, and some of you used to be like this. You had the same problem. All of us have the same issue. Sin has separated from a holy God. We are all in judgment. So what makes the difference? What sets us apart from the unrighteous? What makes us righteous? Look at the end of verse 11. He says, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by his spirit. Family, you understand we have no pedestal to stand on and say you people will be judged. People will go to hell. No, we have no pedestal to stand on that says we're greater than anybody because the only difference between them and us is we've been washed by the blood of Christ. We have submitted ourselves to the one who will make us whole. We have partaken of God's glory, and it's not in our work, but in his perfect work. This means we've been set apart. We've been brought into a holy family. When we come to church, we are given the signal that we are a part of the holy family. But it's not just coming to church that makes you a part of the holy family. It means have you repented and believe in the Savior who will make you whole. We are saved by him who we have submitted our sins before. We have said that our sins were acquitted on the cross for on our behalf. The difference between those who are unrighteous in our age and those who are righteous, it starts with have you submitted to the one who calls you? Have you submitted all that you are to him? I have a question for you today. What desires do you personally have that may keep you from giving it to God? What desires are you refusing to give to God today? I want to let you know, any desire you will not submit to the Lord, if you never turn it over him, in turn can make you a slave. Jeremiah said it best in his his proclamation to Israel when they rebelled against this holy God. He says, this is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they went so far from me? They followed worthless idols and they themselves became worthless. 
Family, when we have desires that we will not put at the throne of grace and tell Christ to take it on himself, we are following at the worthless idols, and in turn, it is making us worthless. When we say that something is greater than his kingdom, we are saying, I rather this versus him. Let's jump off of homosexuality for a second. When we turn our attention to porn and say, I want this more than his kingdom, that is idolatry. When we say, I rather hold on to my job, even though I know this job is separating me from this holy God, that is idolatry. And we all stand under the same judgment. This is pulling us away from Christ. But church, if you are a saint, you have been washed. You've been made holy. You are those who say, I will give everything to him. I will lay it at his feet and I will trust him with it because he is good. Paul tells us about this reality when he was talking to his disciple Titus in the book of Titus. He says, for you too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. This is the problem we all have dealt with. We all too were deceived and we were slaves to our desires, to those things we would submit ourselves to. But God But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. It's not by works of our righteousness. This isn't us saying, well, I know what I used to be, but now I'm going to make myself good. He says, no, he saved us. And that we had, and not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. It's through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This means Christ has come to dead people and made dead people come to life and given us a new life. What is the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous is we are people who have been set apart to experience life and life more fully. And because we know the weight of the sins that we once carried, it should move us to have compassion on those who have not experienced it yet. And tell them they can also, you can also experience life. You can also find your hope in the Savior, but you must repent and turn to him and trust in his perfect work on your behalf. How many of you know we can't save ourselves? I hope all of you know this. You can't save yourself. (laughs) But we have a loving God who does save us. You see, we were once slaves. But that's not what we were made for. We were not made to be slaves. We were not made to be broken. We were not made to be trampled. We were not made to kill, steal, and destroy. We were not made for this, this, but we were made for God's glory. Not to be submitted to our own desires. And this is why Paul goes on in verses 12 to 13. He says, everything is permissible for me. So this right here is actually a, a a Corinthian slogan. It's almost like YOLO today. I know YOLO, that's an old slogan. I'm sorry. I'm getting old, y'all. He says, everything is permissible for me. This is their slogan saying, yeah, I can do whatever. You know, I'm good. 
It's legal, so it won't hurt me. It's permissible. But then Paul rebuttals by saying, but not everything is beneficial. Meaning it's not good for you. And then he follows up and they say it again. Well, everything is permissible for me. It's not against the law. It's not against it's not against a a culture. Everything is good for me. But he says, but I won't be mastered by anything. And they was like, well, we can eat whatever we want. We can drink whatever we want. At that time, prostitution was legal. So they said we can sleep with whoever we want. So he was like. Their slogan was food is for the body, for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And then Paul says, yes, but the God who created the body will do away with both of them. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. There was this great ideal that I can live however I wanted. I can eat whatever I want. I can sleep with whoever I want to live, drink, be merry, live in your truth. And he's saying there is a God who is greater than that. And you weren't created for you. We're not created to experience all the pleasures we desire to experience. We're created to experience his glory and his glory fully. But here's the problem. If we don't trust that his glory is good and pleasurable and that his glory will make us feel satisfied, we'll always look to other means. We'll always look to other means to please ourselves. They treated sex as an appetite to be satisfied and not as a gift to be cherished and used carefully. They used it like gluttonous. And it's the same way we don't just use sex, but we use alcohol, we use food, we use all these things gluttonly to satisfy ourselves. But he said, you're not made for that. And it's killing you. Just because we have normal certain desires given by God at creation does not mean that we must give into them and always satisfy them. No, the God who gave us the desires are worthy for us to submit our desires back to him, knowing that he will make them holy. He will make them perfect. And this is why Paul goes on and says, as we live this life desiring to please God in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship, meaning everything that is in you, he's calling everything in you to be submitted to him. Why? Because he gave everything first. How did he give everything to us first? Well, Paul goes on into the church of Corinth and tell them, the church of Corinth and tell them how we've been joined to someone who is holy. Joined to one who is perfect. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? Of Christ's body? What Paul is telling them is because Jesus sacrificed his body, his body was broken on your behalf. If you trust in him, now you're a part of his body. You have become a partaker of his suffering so that you can be a partaker of his glory. That which was holy has made you holy. 
We are now joined to one who is holy. No longer living for our benefits, no longer living for our sake, no longer living how we want to live, but living for the one who is making us holy and whole and full. In a little while, we'll be partaking of communion. And this is actually what communion is all about. Us coming to the table saying, I remember the one whose body was broken for me. And when I partake of this, this is a reminder I am in him and he is now in me. This is a continuous renewal of our mind that we are part of someone holy. It's both a declaration before a holy God, but also a declaration before God's holy people. That we are one body. That we've been set apart. But Paul asked this question. He says, should I take a part of God's Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Meaning, should I take that which is holy and now put it on a defiled body, knowing that this defiled body is continuously going to live out its own desires? Absolutely not. Because our joining to this holiness in verse 16 says, don't you know that anyone joined with a prostitute in one body is one body with her? For the scriptures say the one, the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He's saying here, you are literally married to Christ. We have become one body. We have become two fleshes, becoming two bodies, becoming one flesh. We are now in Christ. But if we hold on to the practices of this world, we are saying, no, we still want to be married to that too. And as you know, through the scriptures, anytime we have a plurality of spouses, there's a problem that ends up happening. As Solomon How his heart was steered far away from God. Why? Because he gave over to multiple spouses. But the original creation was one man, one woman, becoming one flesh to glorify God wholly together. And this is the same way he's talking about our union in Christ. Christ also tells us that we now abide in him because of the work he has done for us, the ceremonial marriage he has done on our behalf. In John chapter 15, verse 9 through 11, he says, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you these things, not because he's trying to deprave us of something, not because he's trying to keep something from us. No, he has told us these things so that we may have joy in him. And our joy may be complete. Family, the reason Paul is making such a big argument about how we must commit ourselves and submit ourselves to Christ is because in Christ is where the fullness of joy is. But anything we submit to outside of Christ, it really doesn't give full joy. It's leading us to our own destruction. He's like, submit. You are in me. You have been set apart to partake of something greater, something more glorious. So what should we do when we wrestle with the weight of our sins, with our desires? What should we do? Paul finishes out in verses 18 through 20. He says, flee sexual immorality. I mean, get away from it at all costs, throw it at Christ and run away. 
And every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who submits sexually immoral sins is against his own body. Whenever we say, nah, this is going to give me pleasure, this is going to give me, fulfill my desires, we're saying that it is greater than the desires we can have fulfilled in Christ. He says, flee this, pursue God's glory. Because now we have a new body. We have a new spirit that lives in us. It is no longer who lives, us who lives in it, in us, but it's he. Verse 19 and 20. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you've been brought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Family. This text, I tell you, I wrestled because I was like, man, this is landmines all over the place. But at the end of the day, we have been bought by our precious blood offering on our, on our behalf. We were slaves to various temptations and sins. We were in bondage, but Christ who loved us so much shed his blood so that the price would be paid so that we can now be made Holy. We could be set apart. We could be in God. And because he has given everything for us, now he desires for us to give everything to him. Our time, our energy, our money, our bodies, our, our desires, everything he says, bring to the altar and put it before me and I will sanctify it and make you whole and give you joy. My question for you today is, do you know that you've been set apart? Have you been set apart? Have you accepted the one who sets you apart? Have you given yourself to the Savior who said, I will give you eternal joys, not just the joys of this world, but the joys of a world to come? Have you given yourself away to him? If you are his and you have given yourself away to him, William McDowell has the song say, I give myself away. He's like, I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. That is the whole purpose of why we give ourselves to him is because he is using us for his perfect glory. And he wants us to pursue him fully. When we come to this table, this is us saying, I give myself away because I know what was given away on my behalf. When we come to the communion table, this is saying, I know who died for my sins, and now I am partaking so that I can be filled with his righteousness and his holy and perfection. But the only way you should come to this communion table is if that is your profession, that you have been set apart for glory, that you have been set apart for his holiness, that you have accepted him as the one who gives the fullness of life. If you have not accepted him yet, this table isn't for you yet, not because we want to withhold something from you, but because we want to offer you everything in him. And we want you to first know him. If you are someone here today who wrestles with multiple sins from same-sex attraction to lust to, uh, to wanting to steal, you know, you might be wrestling with all these things. I want to let you know that he says you can come to him, but you must lay all that holds you back before him. 
and he is willing to take it. There is no one too far away as we sang earlier. And in him, he offers you the fullness of joy. He doesn't say you have to change to come to him. He says when you come to him, he will change you. And it will be the slow work of sanctifying you to make you more like his son, Jesus. Who is so glorious, who is so perfect, who is so holy. And one day we will reign with him. Will you be set apart for glory today? Will you pray with me? Father, I am so thankful that your word stands the test of time. That despite the wrestlings of my soul, despite the wrestlings of this age, that your word is the great divider that stands the test of time. And Father, I beg for your forgiveness in the ways I fail you. In the times when I don't want to bring my sins before you. Lord, I'm so thankful that you still welcome me to come forth and lay it before you. So Lord, I pray today that you would draw men to yourself, that you would allow them to lay their sins before you today, and they will walk away being renewed in their mind and knowing that they've been washed by your blood. They have been made holy just by repenting and believing in your work. I pray today for those who maybe even upset at this word, that, Lord, you would start speaking to them throughout this week, that you would show them how beautiful you are, and despite the failings of how your word might be handled at times, that you are still glorious and wonderful, and your kingdom is so perfect, and you truly do call all to yourself. So, Lord, as we prepare to go to the communion table, to eat with you and eat with each other. Help us have a pure heart knowing that you have called us to yourself, that you are setting us apart to be partakers of your glory. So Lord, be with us today and help us to experience you fully today. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.